All right, open your Bibles, if you will, to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. One thing I do know about the Lord's people, they've got to have the gospel. They have to have it. Can't live without it. Just can't. Just can't do it. I just got one verse of scripture I want to read to you down in verse 28. Chapter 1, verse 28. Well, I'll read the last two verses. Talking about preaching Christ, whom we preach, the riches of his glory, Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working. Now listen to this. Which worketh in me. If there's any work, it's God working in me. You know, it's God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So we have nothing we can ever glory in of anything that we ever do. But I want to talk about perfection. Perfection in Christ. Paul said, I want to present every man perfect in Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't grasp perfection. I just can't. I can't get my mind around that. Something without any fault, something without any flaws, something without any blemishes, without any spots, Perfect, perfect. The mind can't no more grasp the idea of perfection than it can eternity. How do you grasp eternity? Eternity was here before we got here. Eternity will be here when we leave. We just broke into time. We just broke in, you know, we just, eternity's always been. God just broke into eternity. God's always been eternity. When they, you know when eternity started? When God said. And eternity is God's eternal. He inhabits eternity. He's the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. And I'll tell you, he is so, he said he counts the nations as a drop in the bucket, as the dust of the balance, measures the waters in the hall of his hand. So if we could, you know, one of these days, Revelation says that time will be no more. And what that means is that time, as far as, you know why we have clocks? God gave us that so we'd know how little time we got. You know, it goes on, you know, 12, 24 hours in a day. You know how many days you've lived? Been here a long time. Been here a long time. And as far as God's concerned, not even a snap of a finger. So that's what I'm talking about. You know, when you're dealing with eternity, something with no beginning and no ending. And when we try to conceive and grasp perfection, we get lost because we're in ourselves imperfect. Imperfect in ourselves. I, I know that myself. I know that I am. I'm very imperfect. Everything about me is imperfect. I come from imperfect parents. I raised imperfect children. 
I'm preaching to people that's always imperfect. And an imperfect preacher to preaching to imperfect people. So we're keeping good company. But I tell you, I can tell you where perfection's at. I can tell you a couple places it's at. First of all, perfection is in God Almighty. God is perfect. And all that he is, he's perfect. You know, he's never had to think all of his attributes and his sovereignty and his majesty and his glory and his power. Who's, who's like his power is perfect. His wisdom is perfect. His, everything about him is perfect. And I mean he's perfect in all of his glory, all of his power, all of his wisdom, all of his might. He knew all things from the beginning. He declared the end from the beginning. He knows all things from the minutest detail to, to the most immense. His mind and his power comprehends immensity. I mean, there's no place you can go that God's not at. And no place you can go where you cannot find that he is perfect in all of his ways. And I tell you, you and I, when we go somewhere, we have contingency plans. God has no contingency plans. He has no plan B. <laughs> no, no. He comprehends all secrets. He said he knows our thoughts afar off. He knows what we think before we think it. Knows what we're going to do before we do it. He comprehends all secrets. Grasps all knowledge all at one time. He knows the end from the beginning because he said, this is the end that I want. This is what I want to be at the end. When this thing's all said and done, this is where I want everything to end up. So he started way back yonder and he says, fixed everything that would happen from there to there and everything that's ever going to happen on this world, he fixed it so it'd come out that way right there. He had the end before he ever started the beginning. That's God. That's God. That's a God I believe in. That's a God I can worship. That's a God I can bow down to. That's a God that I can say he is God. He's not a pretender after the throne. No, no. I'll tell you, who's ever, who's ever been the counselor of God? Who's ever had the counsel of God? Now, you know, these people, they got these counselors and everybody wants to be a counselor and preachers want to be a counselor. i tell you, the only counselor I'm interested in is the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the wonderful counselor. Oh, I want him to be my counsel and counsel me. And I'll tell you something else. All his works are perfect. Not only is he himself perfect, but everything he's ever done is perfect. Look with me. Keep Colossians. Look over with me in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. That's right before the book of Proverbs. Look over here with me in Ecclesiastes. I want to show you something. Known are all his works from the creation. Oh my. So I'll tell you, perfection's in God. He himself is perfect. I heard a, I heard a preacher say one time. 
And he is preaching where Lloyd-Jones preached at Westminster Chapel, where Lloyd-Jones pastored for 30-something years. Well, this fellow got up in there, and somebody else invited him in, and he said, he said, if I could get 300 people, 300 people to pray with me, I believe we could change God's mind to do what we want him to do. If you could change his mind, he'd change the first person he'd change his mind about is me. He'd say, I messed up with that fella. <laughs> now that's what, that's what people think about God. That's what people, but oh my. Listen to what he said here in Ecclesiastes 3.14. I know that whatsoever God doeth, listen to this now, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God does this that way that men should fear before him. He says, you just leave my work alone because it's perfect. <laughs> just leave it alone. Just leave it alone. And I tell you, here on this earth, we talk about God and his works. One thing on this earth is perfect. Even after the fall, even after man fell in sin, when all perfection was lost, when God drove man from the garden because of man's sin and man's disobedience, when man rebelled against God and God said, go, get out of here. And we lost all sense of perfection, of righteousness, and even what we understanding of what righteousness is. One thing on this earth that we possess in our hands right now that is perfect, and the perfect will of God's contained in it, and that's this blessed book right here. There is no flaw in this book. So if anybody ever gets up and tells you that this means this and this means that, and they did put the wrong thing here and this word, you know, and start trying to correct God's word, don't listen to them. No, no, God's word is perfect. And here's what's so blessed about it. You know why I love the King James Version? I'm going to tell you why I love the King James Version. God, you know, men for centuries didn't have Bibles. They couldn't get a Bible. Only a few people had a Bible, and that's why the Catholic Church got so powerful, because it was in the hands of priests, and you had to go to a priest, and the priest told you what you're supposed to believe. And so they didn't have a Bible. So God, in his perfect, perfect will, he provided us a Bible in a language that we can understand. And I'll tell you, the first man that... In, in, wrote a Bible, Wycliffe, they hunted him to death and, per and killed him because he wrote a Bible. And God gave us an English Bible. And why I love this Bible, this is the only Bible that's honest under the world, and I'll tell you why it is. It's because if they added anything to the, when they translated it, five men translated this thing, and when they translated it, they put in italics what they added to it. So you can sometimes, you can read it without the italicized words and it still makes the same sense. But there's honest enough to say this word we added. They added. So I tell you what, I'm, if, if I'm ever around anybody correcting the word of God, I just get up and walk away. I'm not, listen, God don't need to be corrected. If this book is God's blessed book, it's perfect in all of its parts. Uh, there's people say, well, I believe this part of the Bible and I don't believe that part of the Bible. And I, you know, somebody said the first 11 chapters of Genesis, just tear it out and throw it away. 
Well, who's going to decide who's right and who's wrong? Who's going to decide what's true and what's not true? Who's going to be the final authority on telling you what you're supposed to tear out and what you're not supposed to tear out? And I'll tell you, the perfect will of God is contained in this blessed book. Perfect in all of its parts. Genesis 1-1, we wouldn't even know that there was a creation. And said, God said in the beginning, God said. God said. We wouldn't know what the end's going to be unless God said. When the prophets went to say something, they said, you know what? Thus saith the Lord. They didn't say, Amos come and said this, and you don't know. No, they said, thus saith the Lord. And I tell you, it's perfectly true, and it's free from error. There's no errors in this Bible. And I'm not, going, I'm not looking for any. I don't want any. I don't. There's no errors in it. And it's perfect, and it's all, and, and everything that's necessary for me and you to know is in this book right here. It's perfect to guide us, perfect to warn us, perfect to instruct us. Paul says the word of God, all scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable. First of all, for instruction in righteousness, to tell you where righteousness it really is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's perfect in doctrine to tell you what the teachings of the Bible is. That's where doctrine means teaching. And it's perfect for reproof, perfect to correct, perfect to instruct. Now that covers about everything about us, don't you reckon? And so, you know, David said, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. I'm going to tell you how much God thought about his word. He said, I, I magnified my word above my own name. Now, what do you reckon he means by that? You know what he means by that is, is that I can create another world, and he is one of these days. He's going to destroy this and make a new one. But he said, I'll never give another word. He said, if I make up another word, then that means there's something wrong with this one. And so he said, I'll magnify my word above my name. He, he can make another world. He can create as many things as he wants to create. All he's got to do is do it, it's done, and it's finished, and that's all it takes. And so I tell you, and our Lord Jesus said, heaven and earth pass away. But one thing will never pass away. My word will never pass away. You know what books are going to be open to judge men in heaven? He's not got a book wrote down with all your sins. <laughs> He's going to open it up and say, well, you've done this, you've done that, and you've done something else. A God who, a God who I just described a moment ago, you know how long it's going to take him to judge us, everybody in this world? You know why? Because everybody's already been judged. Either in Christ or they're going to be judged in themselves. There's be no middle ground. It don't take him long. Uh, yeah. He's going to judge the world quicker than he created it. And I tell you, when we come to ourselves, I talk about perfection. Now, when we come to ourselves, back over here in Colossians, where is perfection? Where is it? He told us there, you know, that we were sometimes alienated enemies in our mind by wicked works. Do you feel perfections in you? Uh, 
Every day that goes over our head teaches us that we're not perfect. Our consciences tells us that we're imperfect. And the harder, the harder we strive to be like Christ, the more imperfection we see in ourselves. No wonder the apostle said, that is in me, in my flesh dwells no good thing. Not no good thing at all. In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And honestly before God, we have to confess now in how we conduct ourselves in this world and in the conversations we do, no perfection, no perfection. You may long for it. Oh, I long one of these days to be perfect. We may long for it. We may moan for it. Cry tears for it. But every tear we shed says imperfection. Every sigh. You hear, you go, you sometimes you'll get so heavy hearted and you'll get down and you'll just go with a sigh. <sighs> you just sigh, your heart's heavy. And you know every sigh says imperfection. Every harsh word we say says imperfection. Everything we say and everything we do, imperfect. Imperfect, imperfect. Uh-huh. We just had to say, Lord, I'm imperfect. But let me tell you something now. Perfection, according to the scriptures, is absolutely necessary for all who hope to enter glory. Nobody's going without being perfect. Got to be perfect. You all heard Scott say that. How many times have you heard Scott say that over the years? Has to be perfect to be accepted. Huh? God said, be ye as holy as I am holy. I'm going to show you. you, you look, look over here in Leviticus 22. You know, <laughs> look in Leviticus 22. Verse 21. You know, People talk about holiness and they want to be holy and they want to get sanctified. Let me tell you something. Holiness is a state of being. Is God any more holy at one time than he is another? And, you know, people say, you know, preachers can preach the gospel so clearly. And then they come down and tell people that they need to start being more sanctified, more dedicated. But here's the thing, holiness is a state of being. Either you're holy or you're not. Either you are or you ain't. Christ said, you know, he said, I sanctify myself. I set myself apart. Now, does Christ, did he need to sanctify himself? When he said, I sanctify myself, what he's saying is, I set myself apart to the cross. And sanctification, that's all it means, is set apart Separated for somebody else. Well, God took us by the gospel and set us apart for himself. He said it's sanctified to the truth. How did he do it? He scared the truth to us and he said, this is mine. Everybody had bowls in Israel. Everybody had cups in Israel. Everybody had spoons in Israel. But God had his spoons and his bowls and he said, these are holy. What made them holy? God said they was. And what makes us holy? God says we are. 
He said, be ye as holy as mine holy. When people are labor to be as holy as God is holy. And how can you be as holy as God unless you, God makes you and counts you as holy? Oh, I tell you, you got to be as holy as God. I am. <laughs> but anyway, oh my. It's absolutely necessary. Look what it said here in Leviticus 22, 21. And whosoever offereth a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to accomplish his vow or brings a freewill offering in bees or sheep, listen to this now, it shall be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no blemish in it. And every time they brought a lamb, they put that lamb up and they washed that thing, make sure there's no blemishes in it. Bring, if you're going to bring a sacrifice, it's got to be perfect. Got to be perfect. And if a person wants to be saved by keeping God's law, by going to the law, as the Galatians did, and you want to be saved by God's holy law, you know how long you have to keep it? Perpetually and perfectly. Cursed is everyone who continueth not in all things written in the book of the law to do them. That don't mean just the Ten Commandments. That means everything. That means everything that you do. And I tell you, God says, oh, listen, there is no going to be any imperfection in my presence. Now, unless you and I can find perfection somewhere, we're going to have to have perfection or get it from ourselves or for somebody else. God himself, God himself would be unjust if he did not punish and reject a man who is not perfect. You know that? If he ever accepted a man who's not perfect, then God would be unjust. He'd be unjust. If he didn't punish and reject a man who is not perfect, he said, the soul that sinneth it shall die. Job asked this question. He asked this question. And Job 8.20, it says this, God will not cast away a perfect man. They told Job that. Said, God will not cast away a perfect man. You know what Job said? He said, yeah, you're exactly right. That is true. But you know what he said? How can a man be just before God? You're talking about being perfect? Job said, if I said I was perfect... You know what would happen? He said, I'd deceive myself and I'd be lying to myself and everybody else. That's what he said in, in Job 9. And I tell you, if God does not punish every transgression, he loses his throne. If he does not punish every sin and every transgression that everybody commits, then he's not God. Uh, he must have perfection or men will be eternally lost and rejected of God. And I'll tell you why. First of all, it, 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 we wouldn't be fit company for the saints that's already in glory. You know, he said, this just, the spirits of just men, listen to this now, Hebrews 12, the spirits of just men made perfect in glory. Already made perfect. They're already there. They're already perfect. We must be made perfect. If we wasn't made perfect, how in the world would we enjoy heaven? 
How could you do it? Huh? Let me tell you something. Death does not change how you are. You know, I, I know every funeral, that some way or another, they get a rebel into heaven. Every single one I've ever been to. The only one, to, I, 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 there was, I'll take that back. There was one fellow, Albert Blaylock was his name. The Lord done took him home. He had a speech impediment. And oh, he was the sweetest man. He took care of my water and tapes for years. And uh, his nephew got killed in a car wreck. He asked me to take care of the funeral. We walked up there, the casket and all that, and Albert come up there and he says, ah, that boy wasn't worth anything. He got just what's coming to him. <laughs> what he said. said he wasn't nothing. And so do you know he's just nothing to him? Never was nothing to him. He got just exactly what he had coming. You know, he said he's already going where he's going to go. But here's the thing. Death does not change us. You know, if we, what I'm saying is, if you're in Christ, you're going to be in Christ eternally. You're without Christ, when death does not change a man's nature. You know, the only thing that can change a man's nature is the Holy Spirit of God. That, that, that God changed a man's heart. And when people get, go into hell, and, I, and I, don't, I don't like to talk about hell, I really don't. But if, when men go to hell, they will not ask to be let out of hell. You know why they won't? Because they went there with the nature they had when they left this world. You can find that in the scriptures where they would not repent. They would not turn. They would not say, I'm sorry. When that rich man was in hell, did he say, please get me out of here? Did he say, I'm sorry? He said, I wish I'd treat Lazarus better. I'd have fed him if I'd, you know, if I had another chance, I'd feed him. Only thing he asked for was one drop of water. Just one drop of water is all he asked for. He didn't ask to get out. Didn't say, I'm sorry. And so when men go, they go, they go there with their nature. Adolf Hitler's still a tyrant and a murderer in hell right now. Pilate's down there still trying to wash his hands. And that's what, that's what I'm telling you. When death does not change a man. And people say, oh my, well he's died. He's going, to, he's going to glory now. If he didn't know Christ, he ain't. And I tell you, we got to be made perfect if we're going to go to heaven. I, God, what, would God, what would God do with a bunch of rebels in heaven? How many, how many times have you all heard the rapture? How many times have you all been talk, ever heard about the rapture? That's where you know God's going to sneak in here, sneak his people out of here, and leave everybody else here, you know, to have car wrecks and airplanes to fall out of the sky and all that stuff, you know. <laughs> and then they're supposed to, supposed to leave people here for seven years to go through seven years of tribulation. Now, let me, let me ask you something. If a man... And they say, now he that, they say, then this is what they say. He that endureth unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now, listen. And they say the Holy Spirit goes out with the church. Now you tell me how a man can be saved without the Holy Spirit. You know what these fellows come up with? I call it a Baptist purgatory. It's, it's, it, they, they dreamed up a way to get all these people into heaven who didn't live right. <laughs> 
<laughs> attended services all the time, so they figured out a way to get them to heaven, you know, by seven years of tribulation. That's just nothing but a Baptist purgatory. Boy, I tell you, anybody, if they could just, if they went to hell and only had to stay seven years, don't you think, boy, listen, I'll go, you know, no, that's not the way it works. No, no, uh-uh. There's just one judgment. When this thing's over, it's over once and for all. God don't have sneakiest people out of here. Ever, ever, he owns everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's by him we move, move and have our being. When God winds this thing up, it's going to be just like this. Sheep on the right, goats on the left. Thrust in your sickle. I just preached on that last time. Thrust in your sickle. Oh, I'll tell you now. Oh, my. Perfection. Where are we going to get it? Where are we going to get it? Where is it? Well, there's people that have ceremonies. They love ceremonies. They like to put on their robes and, and oh, said, I'll tell you how to, I, listen, bring your baby up here and let me baptize it. Bring your baby up here and let me dedicate it. Take this wafer and take this wine. Then you'll get grace through that. Oh my. Baptizing men that are dead. People say, well, I prayed through on an old fashioned altar. Listen. <laughs> I was at a fellow's place one time. I stopped he's at a gas station. He found out I was a preacher. He said, Come in here, preacher. And I went in there and he said, See my baptismal certificate up there? He said, you know, I got baptized. That was his, that was his whole profession, that baptismal on the wall. That's, that's his, that was his hope. And oh my, some say perfection is to be attained by this flesh, by us doing our duties. John Wesley, he wouldn't have known the gospel if he met it in the middle of the road, and I don't care to say that. He taught sinless perfection. Go find, go find his books. Find them and read them. He said that a person could live sinlessly in this world. He's got to have sinless perfection. And let me give you a little history lesson. Thomas Aquinas. You know where the idea that saints came from? Thomas Aquinas was a Catholic priest, bishop, whatever he was. And anyway, he is the first one who said... Some, you know, some priests and some saints on this earth have enough merit and enough grace that more than enough that they need so they can give it to somebody else. So listen, I, that'd be like me saying, listen, I got more grace than I need. Here, I'm going to give you some. I'm, I got more merit than I need. I'll give you some. And that's how they ended up praying to saints. He's got more merit up there than he needs. He's got more grace than he needs. So you pray to him and he'll give you some. Oh my. Oh, just. <laughs> oh, I saw a thing the other day. It said, teach you, train yourself to lead a godly life. And they say, oh yes, yes, you got to accept Christ first. You got to accept Jesus first. You got to believe, they say. Then lead real, real devoted life. Uh, observe all your religious duties. Get up and pray first thing in the morning. Read your Bible so much. And then you'll start climbing. 
You'll get up to the first rung, you'll get higher and higher and higher, and then you'll get to where you're justified. Then you'll get to where you're sanctified until you reach the highest plane. Well, let me ask you something. Can you get higher than Jesus Christ? But people teach that. And they tell you it don't take much to ruin their perfection. <laughs> just, just, just cross her path while these times say, oh, listen, I thought you was perfect. Tell them that. But oh, I'll tell you something. Look what it are. Let me back over here in Colossians. Oh, I tell you, I've, to, I've told enough negative things. Now let's get to something good and positive. <laughs> oh, boy. Look what it says here. Oh, look what he says in verse Colossians 1.27. Watch me go down through here now. Paul said he has made a preacher in verse 26 to preach and fully preach the word of God. And, and here's, here's what he said. Even the mystery that hath been from, hid from ages and from generations. I mean, it was hid in the Old Testament. People couldn't see it. The Jews couldn't see it. And people still can't see it. But now is made manifest, clearly seen by his saints. And this, these are the people God would make known to his saints what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, among people like us. What is this great mystery and the riches of this glory? Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I tell you what, we're preaching him that every man may be made perfect in Christ. Oh my, Colossians 2, 9 and 10, look what it says there. For in him, in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete, and that word complete is the same word as perfect. You are complete in him, which is the head of all principalities and powers. You know how long we've been in Christ? <laughs> I didn't know this. I mean, you know what? We'll deal with it. We were in Christ before the foundation of the world. I found that out. I never will forget when I found that out. <laughs> Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And you know what the next verse says? In love having predestinated us under the adoption of children of Jesus Christ. And one of my favorite verses, and this is the one that God used to teach me the gospel. I don't know if I've ever told you that story or not. I, you know, when, when God began to deal with me, I read the Bible. That's all I'd read. I, for three years, I'd read nothing but the Bible. Wouldn't read any other book. Scared to death to read any book beside the Bible. And I read and 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 read. And then when I go hear somebody preach, I'd go, I'd, I'd go to the house and I'd look up and see what, what they're saying was true or not. And every time I'd hear something, I'd find out whether it's so or not. And if it wasn't so, I'd just ignore it and then move on to something else. But anyway, I said all that to say this. You know, I, I, I needed to know. I, I really needed to know. This is the condition I was in in the, in the mid-70s. 76, 77, somewhere in there. And I said, Lord, I need to know whether salvation is of works or of grace. I need to know whether amends, 
holiness has something to do with himself or you. And I prayed that way. I was in a great quandary. My soul was in agony. One day, you know, I had a farm, and I went way up on a hill, way up behind the house. And I had a shotgun with me. I was going to go up there and kill a few squirrels. And I got up there, and I sat down. I got got my Bible out, a little old paperback Bible. And I opened it up. And it just, you know, wasn't a light to shine on, but just almost like a light shined on it. And it was 2 Timothy 1.9. God answered my prayer with one verse of Scripture. You know what it says? God who hath saved us. That's the first thing he said. God hath saved us. When he talks about salvation, it's always in the past tense. Not according to our works. So that settled that issue real quick. But according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. That opened my mind up and I started studying the scriptures through that word, one word purpose. And I found out that God did everything on purpose. (laughs) My mind just went wild. My mind mind went just, oh my goodness. I just, I couldn't hardly, I couldn't hardly wait to tell somebody. You know, and then, and then, you know, and, and here's the thing. We was in Christ in a covenant of election before the world ever began. And let me tell you something about this, elect, this, this covenant. You and I never made a covenant with God. Not God never did, made a covenant with us. He made a covenant with his son. Him and his son made a covenant. And in that covenant, God gave Christ a people. And he gave Christ a people before the foundation of the world. And, all, and he said, and he gave all these people. And then the Lord Jesus Christ agreed and covenant to come into this world and take all of their obligations, take all of their sin, take all of their shame, take all of their guilt, and do what is necessary to save them from their sin. But the only difference that was Christ come and laid down his life, not for everybody, but for those that was given to him in this covenant of election. And I know this, that wherever you're at, and I don't care where you're born, there's people that's not been born yet that Christ died for, that was in the covenant of grace and the covenant of election, and that, will, they, that ain't even been born yet. And if Christ died for them, as sure as God's on his throne, he's going to cross their path with the gospel someday. God sent a man all the way from Canada to Mexico, and he's going to go down there and be a missionary and win all these souls to Jesus. You know why God sent him to Mexico? To save him. To save him. Joseph Murphy, pastor's down in New Caney, Texas right now, where Jack Shanks was. He went down there and he met Walter Groover and Cody Groover and started running around with those fellas. Next thing you know, he's sitting on the side of the gospel and he said, Lord, he's he, the Lord saved him and he went and told, told his home church and it was a reformed church said we can't have nothing else to do with you can't have nothing else to do with you and that's what happens our Lord Jesus came to pay the debt we owe he is our surety and let me show you something over here in Ephesians look over here in Ephesians chapter 2 let me show you this I've got to hurry I'll tell you what I've done went too long already but I'm I'm really, <laughs> 
Look here at Ephesians 2. Let me show you something. What Christ did, we did. When he died, we died with him. When he suffered, we suffered. When he was under God's wrath, we were under God's wrath. When justice was satisfied and, and come against sin, justice was satisfied in Christ and us. Our sins were laid on Christ, and now his merit is laid on us, his righteousness. Look what he said here in verse 5. Even when we were dead in sins, listen to this now, hath quickened us together with Christ. See, together with Christ, by grace you're saved. Now listen to this, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So I'll tell you what, whatever, we're together. <laughs> we're together. Oh, our, God took our sins, laid them on his blessed son. And when he laid them on his blessed son, our Lord Jesus paid for those sins. And Christ turned around and gave us his righteousness. The very righteousness of God. And let me say this, and I'll, I'll, be, I'll wind this up real quick. And when we were in Christ actually... Actually, to our knowledge, when we believed him and believed on him, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We were always in Christ, but we didn't know it till somebody told us. Ain't that right? Huh? We were secure from the foundation of the world, but we didn't know it. It's like a child, you know, he's going to be the heir. He's going to be an heir, but he's a child. And so that child's got to be trained. That child's got to be governed. That child's got to be disciplined. And that's what happened. We were always sons, always heirs. And, and then when we come of age, when that fellow comes of age, he don't need no more tutors. He gets the whole inheritance. And that's the way we was. We was under tutors. Under all kinds of Tutors and governors, and they governed us, and God disciplined, taught us, and then all of a sudden, He comes and tells us what we had before we, we know we, we trusted Christ, and He comes out and tells us what all we had in Christ before we ever, we already believed Him. Huh? Faith lays hold of that blessed inheritance. Oh, it lays hold on Him. Lays hold on Him. And let me close with this. Every soul that's in Christ. Right now is as perfect as they're ever going to be. I'm not going to be any more perfect when I get to glory than I am now. I just won't have his flesh to deal with. I won't be more, no more righteous when I get into heaven than I am right now. Huh? If you're a brand new believer, just a brand new believer, you're as perfect as the Apostle Paul. Huh? The believer who's fallen into sin. You say, oh, well, they don't. Oh, yes, they do. Fifth months today and saw David with Bathsheba, they said, oh my goodness alive, he's not saved. Don't let him in the church, whatever you do. And then if you have seen Peter deny the Lord Jesus Christ, oh, he don't know the Lord. Instead of no verities, oh, he don't know the Lord. And you saw Noah drunk, laying naked in the tent. Oh, that man don't know the Lord. And you hear Abraham tell two lies, more scared for himself than he is for the safety of his wife. You say, oh, that fellow don't know the Lord. But you know what we're called? We're called the sons of Abraham. <laughs> what did Abraham do? He believed God. 
What did God say about him? He's a righteous man. <laughs> and the believer, the old believer, the warrior, no perfection in themselves but in Christ. And this is the way we are. You know, when we would do good, then evil's present with us. And what we hate, we do. And what we love, we don't do. No wonder, he said, I know that in me, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Huh? And oh, wretched man that I am. But the very next verse says this, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. Huh? With all of our infirmities, hasty temper, you got a hasty temper? God says you're perfect. Slips of the tongue, God says you're perfect. Solomon said this, he said, I'm black, but I'm comely. <laughs> we get black sometimes, but God says we're comely. Huh? You see, that's what's so wonderful about the gospel. It takes everything away, no hope in us, but everything in him. Every one of us said here tonight, I'm, I'm so imperfect. I sometimes think, ain't no sense me going to service tonight. I'm such a hypocrite. I've, things I've said and done today, if I go to church, I, 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 I'm such a hypocrite, I don't even need to go. But I go. You know why? Because I need it. <laughs> I, need, I need it. I need Christ. Christ. And that's what he does. He meets everything that's against us. And he took it out of the way. Nailed it to his cross. And now, the only thing I'm waiting for, and boy, you're talking about a future. I'm talking about that inheritance. I, I say, I, I, you, you all are just, you know, when you get an inheritance, if, if you, 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 you four girls, I don't know how many of you are in your family, but whenever you, you all get your inheritance, it'll be split three ways, four ways, or whatever. But now for a believer, you know, when you you, you got big families, D back there had 14 kids in her family or something. So they got, their mom and daddy died, they might have got two or three dollars a piece. You know, I don't know. But, you know, but the thing is with us, you know, here we are with, with us. When, when we get the inheritance from Christ, it's, you know, it's, it's like a pie. You know, when you got a big family, everybody gets a little bitty piece of the pie. And if it's only a couple, they get half of the pie. But for us or in Christ, every single one of us get the whole pie. <laughs> we get the whole pie. We get it all. Every one of us get exactly the same thing. <laughs> well, enjoy your pie. 